glad that you're listening to this podcast. This podcast is a ministry of the Bonners Ferry Baptist Church and of Pastor Devin Neal. Acts chapter 8, verse 26. And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. And he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia and eunuch of great authority, under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure and had come to Jerusalem for to worship, was returning, sitting in his chariot, and read Isaiah the prophet. Then the spirit said unto Philip, Go near and join thyself to this chariot. And Philip ran thither to him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah and said, Understandest thou what thou readest? And he said, How can I except some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. The place of the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and like a lamb, dumb before his shearer, so opened he not his mouth. In his humiliation, his judgment was taken away, and who should declare his generation, for his life is taken from the earth. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, of whom speaketh the prophet this, of himself or of some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. He opened from Isaiah 53 and preached Jesus Christ to him from there. Verse 36, And as they went on their way, they came unto a certain water, and the eunuch said, See, Here is water, what doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still. And they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they were come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught away Philip, that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. I said earlier, I think this is probably one of the most clarifying texts of Scripture on the subject of baptism. It is of, and I'll just mention this and move on, but it's not of little consequence that this text of Scripture comes under scrutiny by what we would call higher critics or textual critics to want to remove verse 37 from your Bible. And let me say with confidence, verse 37 is there because it belongs there. Amen. And uh, Satan seeks to cause ambiguity and confusion wherein God gives us clarity. If you want to ask me, just say this before we get into the outline of the message this morning. Is baptism a significant issue? You could ask some people back in the Middle Ages and the Dark Ages if it's a significant issue. The number of people that were martyred over the subject of baptism. Meaning, believing that baptism was for believers when they would put their faith in Jesus Christ, they would be baptized by immersion, having already been christened as Catholics, and the Catholics thereby would persecute them because by practicing believers' baptism, they were renouncing Catholic baptism. And you can study history. There's a lot of bloodshed over two issues, the Bible and baptism. And you can, it's right there in your history books. If you can find one that's not canceled that yet, you'll find that Back through that period of time, this was an issue that a lot of people lost their lives over. They were told not to baptize uh, 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 professors of faith who had already been christened as Catholics and so on. And So it's, a, it's an issue that people have died for, a truth that people have lost their lives to stand for. And you say, why? Well, because it's, it's a truth of God. It has great consequences, as we said earlier. And so I want to go through a few things here. From and I said this message is very instructive this morning, maybe a little different than we're used to on a Sunday morning. But uh, the eunuch here has Jesus Christ preached to him. I noticed when Philip preached to the eunuch, the Bible doesn't say open from that scripture and preached unto him baptism. He preached unto him Jesus. Yet the eunuch somehow knew that he associated belief of the message of Jesus Christ with baptism. Now, he had just come from Jerusalem, and as you know, Jerusalem was a stir with people getting saved and baptized. I don't know who communicated to him that the way you evidenced faith in the Lord Jesus Christ was baptism, but he had an understanding of that. He connected being a Christian with being baptized as evidence of that. And so, of course, he asked about it. So I think that has to take us back. I'm going to give you five things about baptism this morning. I think it takes us back to what initiated this concept of belief in Christ is signified by, by baptism. And that begins with our Savior. Baptism is, this morning, the commandment of Jesus Christ. 
It is a command. How many of us understand that the believer, if he's a true and sincere believer, is to evidence his faith in Jesus Christ alone for his salvation by being baptized? It's a token. Let me ask you this. Let me just try to, let me try to put this all in context, if I may. Let's say, and I used this illustration kind of a few weeks ago, let's say you can roll back 20 plus years and my wife and I, we're just about to get married and I've bought her an engagement ring and I have the other half of the wedding ring and we're preparing for that wedding day. She says, Nevin, I'm going out today to buy your wedding ring. I says, no need. She says, well, why not? So I'm not going to wear one. I don't, I don't like that. I don't, I don't, it makes me feel in bondage somehow to have to wear a wedding band. If I wear that, it might, it might, and I start giving all the reasons what it might. She says, I want to buy you one. If you wear that, people will know you're married to me. I said, I understand that. I really would rather not wear a wedding band for all our married days. Now, someone could really simplify and say, well, she shouldn't make a big deal of it. It's just a piece of metal that you slide onto your finger. You with me? How many of you know, and by the way, our world, including carnal believers, are notorious today for using this tactic for belittling something of great importance. Someone says, well, it's just a piece of material. Let's talk about the flag. Or it's just a piece of metal that you slide on your finger. No, it's a symbol. It stands for something. It says, I honor my wife by declaring I'm loyal to her. I belong to her. Baptism is a token that we now belong to Christ. It is a token of sincere faith. I'm getting a little ahead of myself. But may I say this? Christ commanded it. Baptism is a token of many things, but he commanded it. And I want to see that command in a twofold way. He commanded it, first of all, by his own pattern. Acts tells us that he began both to do and to teach. Jesus began both to do and to teach, meaning he did first what he taught us to do. The best teachers do that, by the way. Best teachers don't say, I teach, you do. They say, as I do, I'm teaching you to do. Uh, He was an ensample to his flock. So go now, if you would, to Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3. There, probably one of the greatest confusions about baptism today is that the purpose of baptism, and again, I'm going to get a little ahead of myself throughout the message because all of this is so interwoven, but many people have the belief that baptism, that the purpose of it is to wash away sins. That water baptism is intended to wash away sins. Well, if that's the case, why did Jesus get baptized? He had no sins to wash away, did he? Now, I understand it is symbolic of our sins being washed away, but it is also a step and an act of righteousness. John the Baptist came preaching repentance. Jesus had nothing to repent of, yet he got baptized. Because he would command every one of his disciples, the first step of obedience as a believer after you've come to faith in Jesus Christ, is to evidence that through baptism. Matthew chapter 3, uh, we'll read in verses 13 through 15. John is baptizing here, and undoubtedly, the baptism we partake of has more meaning than John's. John's baptism was to say, I am a sinner in need of a Savior, and I am repentant of my sin as I wait for the Savior to come. I am looking for the coming King, and I acknowledge I need His mercy because I'm a sinner, and it was an evidence of repentance. It was a baptism unto repentance, meaning because you're repentant, you get baptized. Ours is not just significant of of repentance, but of also faith in the resurrected Savior. Nonetheless, Jesus was baptized of John. Matthew chapter 3, verse 13. Then cometh Jesus from Galilee to Jordan unto John to be baptized of him. But John forbade him, saying, I have need to be baptized of thee, and comest thou to me? And Jesus answering said unto him, Suffer it to be so now, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he suffered him. And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water. And lo, the heavens were opened unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. This was an act of righteousness. This is, by the way, how we know baptism. One of the ways we know it doesn't save, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us. I want us to see, though, that baptism is not, if you're truly a believer, it's not optional. If you're truly a believer, it is, it is obligatory, not because someone makes you, but because you truly believe. It's the evidence that I am following the Lord Jesus Christ. He commands it by his pattern, but he also commands it by precept. Look at Matthew chapter 28. 
Matthew chapter 28. If I asked you tonight or this morning, what is the Great Commission about? What would you tell me? What is the Great Commission? Someone would say, evangelize the world. That's one-third. That is one-third of the Great Commission. We say a local church is about carrying out the Great Commission. Someone says, all you do is just evangelize? No, that's one thing we do. But those evangelized upon faith are to be commanded to be baptized. You understand that? When a believer says, I'm a believer, then the soul winner, the, the witness, the Christian is to say, well, if you believe, then you can get baptized, right? Because baptism is that token of discipleship, of obedience to Christ because I believe in him. Matthew chapter 28, as part of the Great Commission, in verse 18, Jesus says, in verse 18, Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. He's resurrected now. He is back in his position of authority that he had stepped away from when he came down to earth as a servant. He is no longer the humble servant to be crucified. He's the resurrected sovereign. His all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, doing what? baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. If you had time this morning to do a detailed study of the, the furtherance of the gospel in the book of Acts, you'd find the pattern. Acts chapter 2, Peter stands on Pentecost and preaches, and those who were believing his message said, what should we do? He said, repent and be baptized for the remission of sins, and you'll receive the Holy Ghost. And that doesn't mean baptism gives you the remission of sins. You get baptized because you have the remission of sins. And so he goes on, you be baptized. You believe? The Bible says in Acts chapter 2, then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the Lord had added unto the church, and then they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. You say, what's the significance of this? I believe this. I believe there are, there are a host of people today, because of the familiarity with the things of God, who've heard the gospel, perhaps even been born again, but have never moved forward with God because they have, they've started off wrong. You get a baby that's born and you start feeding it Kool-Aid the moment it's born. It's going to have some difficulties growing. That baby needs the richness of mama's milk. And there are many today perhaps have heard the gospel, believe truly in Jesus Christ, but have been drinking spiritual Kool-Aid and not growing. I mean, no unkindness whatsoever. I'm saying there are those who say, but they've never obeyed the Lord in baptism. I believe you're, you're going to stagnate right there spiritually until you get in God's order for your life. And so then, as I said, it's commanded by Christ by pattern, his own example, and by precept. Notice Mark 16, 15 and 16. And by the way, those who want to preach baptismal regeneration, they go back and forth, and I'm not being unkind again, but they go back and forth between Mark 16, 15 and 16, and Acts 2, 38, and they want to park right there. Because if you take in the whole of the counsel of God's word, it becomes clear, very clear, that baptism is not a means of salvation, but an evidence of. Mark 16, 15, he said unto them, and he said unto them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. He doesn't say believeth not and is not baptized, but he that believeth not shall be damned. You know what he's saying? The true believer, given the opportunity, will be baptized. And the baptized believer is saved. The unbeliever is damned. You say, I'm trying to tell us here. The Lord says, you preach when they believe, they get baptized. And that's seen throughout Scripture. It is the Savior's command that believers should evidence that by baptism. He is commanding. You know what's interesting to me? The command is given to whom? To baptize. The new believer or the preacher's? He says, go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them. Meaning, God communicates the command to the new believer through the preacher of the gospel. It is commanded to the new believer, but it's via the person that preaches the gospel to him. May I say this? If you have the wondrous opportunity of leading someone to faith in Jesus Christ, one of the first things they need to be told and encouraged in is, look, you find a, a local church that preaches and teaches the Bible and get baptized to evidence your faith in Christ. Amen? Don't miss the simplicity of this this morning. It's the command of the Savior that we should be baptized. Number two, though, so, so we go around like this. We go around like Constantine with a gun and say, we want you to become a member of our church. I don't want to be. You're going to get baptized. Is that, the way, is that the way it works? 
Constantine said, I'll make the world Christian. I'm the Roman emperor. If they refuse, we'll get them to get baptized at the tip of the sword and we'll Christianize the world. Getting dunked under water does not make you a Christian. So that's why we have Acts chapter 8 to show us what is the constraining force. We're commanded to baptize believers, but the constraining force is not the pressure of another believer. The constraining force is belief in the heart. Go to Acts chapter 8 where we started. Okay, So the command is there, but you know, you're not going to obey Christ's commands if you don't trust Him. Please don't miss that. You're not going to obey Christ's commands if you don't trust Him. Now, that ought to tell us something. There's a little more to that. Meaning, if you do trust Him, you will obey His commands. Ultimately, He may have to instruct you, teach you, be patient with you. But the fact of the matter is, is if I, if I trust Him, the evidence of my trust is obedience. The evidence of my love is obedience. And so then, Acts chapter 8 Uh, verse 36. We read what happened. God tells Philip to leave a great revival in Samaria where many souls are being saved. He says, I want you to go out into a desert place. And he was led out there and he finds the eunuch in his chariot. And the eunuch is reading Isaiah chapter 53. And he says, who is this man speaking of of himself or some other? He said, I don't know. And he says, do you understand? He said, how can I except some man should guide me? And so Philip, an evangelist from the church at Jerusalem, also a deacon, if you want to call him that, a table waiter from the church at Jerusalem, a proven man, a faithful man, steps up in that chariot and fulfills the Great Commission. He preaches Jesus Christ to that man. And as they're rolling along in this eunuch's chariot, Acts 8, 35, the Bible says, Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. And as they went on their way, they came unto a certain water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. Notice the way he asked this. What doth hinder me to be baptized? Now, there's an entire message that has been preached and is to be preached from this text. Instead of Philip saying, see, here is water, what would hinder you from being baptized? Who's initiating this? The eunuch. In Acts chapter 2, it's the same pattern. Philip had been commanded, of course, by the Savior to baptize believers, but you don't find Philip having to pressure or talk the eunuch into getting baptized. When he realized that's what he could do to evidence his faith in Jesus Christ, he said, what would keep me from it? Oh, how we could learn from his attitude about how to serve Christ. If that, if that's the way we begin, and by the way, that is what baptism represents, that attitude. I truly believe what would hinder me from demonstrating that in every facet of my life. That's why I said the message is more than just about baptism this morning. Maybe you've come to some point in your Christian life and you hear preaching. You say, I feel like the preaching is pressuring me to make this decision. I hear, Pastor, you're preaching on certain issues and I, I don't think that's the way I think and I feel pressured to do certain things. I would ask you this. Ask yourself, is this going to demonstrate my personal trust in Christ? And the question ought to be, do I have to do this or what would hinder me? What would hinder me from serving God wholeheartedly so people knew that Jesus Christ actually is the treasure of my soul? As the eunuch rode along, he knew people that believe this, what you're preaching about Jesus, get baptized, here's water. Man, I've got an opportunity. What would keep me from it? So where's the constraint coming from? Is he outwardly constrained by an outward force? or inwardly constrained by a true belief. May I say this? If your Christian life is nothing more than your response to constraining forces on the outside of you, not from the Holy Spirit on the inside of you, something's out of order. The Christian life is constrained not by fear. Well, I don't... I mean, don't misunderstand. There's a fear of God. We should fear God. And we should have a healthy fear of not living life according to His will because it's not going to turn out well. But the constraining force of Christianity is not fear. It is faith which worketh by... I read it in my Bible this morning. Love. Faith which worketh by love. The eunuch heard about Jesus Christ. The eunuch never saw Jesus Christ. Never laid eyes on Him physically. He did not get a vision in the night of some oversized supposed Jesus Christ. He never saw a picture in the picture Bible uh, because there is no such thing. His image of Christ was formed specifically from the written Word of God. 
The same way you came to know faith in Jesus Christ is faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word. That Word may have come from the mouth of a believer in Jesus Christ, but the fact is it's the Word of God that brings salvation. And as that eunuch heard it, you know what he said? I believe it. And when he was given the opportunity to demonstrate his faith by works, you know what he wanted to do? He wanted to demonstrate it. So then faith without works is what? Dead, being alone, James 2.17. Works do not justify us with God, but they sure do justify your your faith with men. They too demonstrate that it's a sincere and a genuine faith. And so the constraint to be baptized was he had an opportunity and therefore he wanted to fulfill his obligation, but not an obligation pressed on him by someone else. Again, how much talking into this did Philip have to do? It's like Philip has to talk. You make sure this is in line. He says, I want to be baptized. I've had this happen. Somebody come to me and say, you know, I know I'm a believer, but I believe I need to get baptized. And so I say, well, what about this, this, and this? Do you sincerely believe on Jesus Christ in the Bible? I do. Well, then we'll baptize you. <laughs> Isn't it wonderful when someone says, I want to do what's right. Is there anything that would hinder me? <laughs> That's the spirit. That's the attitude. And so he had an opportunity. They came to water. By the way, I'll just throw this in here. You have to bear with me. His opportunity was not a jug of water on the side of the road. It was a water hole. Bible baptism is by immersion. Anything outside that's not biblical. Bible baptism is conducted by someone who's been authorized by a local church. You can connect Philip. You know what church Philip had belonged to? He had been proven in the church at Jerusalem. He wasn't a pastor, but he was a proven servant attached to a local New Testament church. That's Bible baptism. That's God's way. Amen? And so I'm trying to say to you this morning is he had the opportunity. The opportunity made him come forward with a request. The the constraint came from his own heart of faith in Jesus Christ. Baptism is a token of sincere faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I've shared with you my testimony about my own baptism. I was seven years old when I got baptized. I asked the Lord to be my Savior as a four-year-old little boy. Some would take fault with that. I'll tell you this. As a four-year-old, I understood I was a sinner on my way to hell. I understood Jesus Christ had died for me and was alive. And I understood that if I did not put my trust in him, I would perish. And if I did trust him, he would save me. And as a little boy, I called on Christ to save me. And he gave me assurance that he had done that. By the time I'm seven, you've got to understand this. I'm sitting under Bible preaching multiple times a week. By the time I was four, I heard the gospel... More times, and many have heard it by the time they're 40. What a privilege, but what a responsibility. What I'm trying to say is this. I remember lying in my bed as a seven-year-old, and I'm hearing about gospel, the gospel all the time. I'm hearing about salvation all the time. I know that I'm saved, but I have some people in my family. I never know you're really saved because I've never gotten baptized. Now, they didn't pressure me. I can't say anyone. I praise God. I did not have parents that said, you need to get baptized. You need to get baptized. They, they got me under the preaching. And let the Lord do a work in my heart. But the fact of the matter was, I'm here lying in my bed thinking, man, I need to get baptized. I had one thing that held me back. I was terrified of getting dunked underwater. It wasn't that I didn't believe the gospel. It wasn't, it was, oh, I'm terrified. But I'm going to tell you what. I had to face my terror and I thought, I knew this. If I truly am trusting Christ, I've got to evidence that by obeying him. Now, as a seven-year-old, I grasped that. If I truly trust him, I know he wants me to get baptized, and I've heard it in the Bible, and I've not done it yet, and it's not because I don't know I'm supposed to, it's because I'm scared to. I remember jumping out of my bed, it was a Saturday night, my dad was downstairs studying, and I ran down there and said, Dad, can I get baptized? What he asked me? Well, Devin, are you sure you've been saved? Yes, sir. He knew that, and he baptized me the very next Sunday. But for me, it was chewing on my what? Conscience. I was saying I believed. But my life was not evidencing that. May I say the next major spiritual step was the same kind of reasoning. I'd been, I was a believer. I'd been baptized, but I had facets of my life that I was living my way, not God's way. And the Spirit of God brought me back and said, I thought you believed on me. I do. Then why aren't you obeying me? And at that point, you either have to say, well, I now don't believe or line out. <laughs> right? Baptism is the first step in a series of steps that are made the same way. It's the Lord's will because I trust him, I obey him. And so then for many, baptism is the last step of obedience they've ever taken. They believed, 
They got baptized, and after that, they quit obeying the voice of the master. But not for the eunuch, I don't believe. But anyway, my point is this. His constraint was not a human constraint. It was a spiritual constraint because he truly and sincerely believed the word of God concerning Christ. Number three, we see the command to be baptized by Christ's pattern and his precept. We see the constraint was an inward restraint, a spiritual restraint, a sincere restraint, a faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Had there not been faith, there would have never been baptism because that's the condition. Number three, the condition to be baptized is in Acts chapter 8, verse 37. In verse 36, the eunuch asked the question. As they went on their way, they came into a certain water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, Here it is. If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. Now, Philip had just preached to him what? Jesus. He had preached Christ crucified and risen from the dead. He had just preached the gospel to him out of Isaiah chapter 53. And he said, if you believe, believe what? What he had just preached to him. That the man spoken of in Isaiah 53, you remember what it says, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are Healed. He preached to him the healing of his soul through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And he said, if thou believest, thou mayest. If thou believest, what? With all thine heart. What he's saying is, if you sincerely believe what you've heard preached, you may. This is why we refer to it as what baptism? Believer's baptism. If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. That's the condition for baptism. Have you come to believe God's word concerning Jesus Christ being the Son of God? And, of course, the man's answer was this. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he was saying, I believe what the Scripture says about Jesus. He is the Son of God. And then the Bible says they stopped the chariot, and both of them went down the water, and the eunuch got baptized. Now, let me just try to apply this this morning. If that simple practical... If, <laughs> I was talking to a pastor one time. He said, you know, he said, I think if you told people you've got to take a pilgrimage to Israel to evidence your faith, they'd be more prone to do it than get dunked underwater. There's something humbling about getting in a pool of water getting dunked under. I mean, what a, what a humble, simple picture, is it not? And yet, it is a picture that we have trusted Christ to the point we are willing to submit to His authority. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I believe He's God in the flesh. I believe He is worthy to save me, and I believe He's worthy to command me what to do, including me dunked underwater. That's why I say every step of Christian life is just the same as baptism after that. Christ will command something in your life. You think, really? God doesn't care about that. Honestly, let me ask something. Does God care if you get in a hole of water and get dunked under it? I mean, really, does the God of the universe care about that? Absolutely does. Because he said to do it. See, there are no small or large steps of obedience. If God commanded it, obedience is what is important. That's what's important. May I say this to you? The entire Christian life is a life of obedience. I've heard Christians, people who claim to be Christians, well, I'm just stubborn. Well, you're just wicked. <gasps> Stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. First, first Samuel chapter 15. Rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness as iniquity and idolatry. Let's go back to the Great Commission, shall we? Jesus said, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Doing what? Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. You realize, he said, the new believer is going to be taught to obey my commands. Observe all my what? Suggestions. I'm going to hit just a pet peeve for just a moment, but I think you'll understand where I'm coming from. I hear this kind of statement today. Well, I ask my children to do this. and When God asks us to, when God asks us to find me scripture where Jesus asks us. Friend, it's not there. If you can't be commanded, you can't be a disciple. 
That's why the very first step of testing your faith is will you obey this simplistic command to let another person dunk you underwater as a picture of what I just did for you. It is a picture of faith, but it also requires a submissive spirit. I want you to think about the eunuch for just a moment. He's a Gentile, is he not? He's Ethiopian, but he's a man of importance. This man is in charge of Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, her entire treasury. That's his job. He is not a Johnny-come-lately. He's a smart guy. He knows how to read. He's got a scroll, a piece of scripture from Isaiah. How he got it, I don't know. But he's reading that in his chariot. This is not some country bumpkin. He's an intelligent man. He is an important man. But when he realized the evidence of sincere faith in the Son of God is that I shall be baptized, I want to now. Shouldn't that be the spirit of our entire Christian life? Is that the spirit that prevails among Christians today? What doth hinder me from obeying my Savior? What doth hinder me from taking the next step of obedience? The attitude today is, do I have to? That's not Christianity. That's carnality. Oh, how often do we have that sensitive, sweet spirit when we first get saved and by and by we harden our hearts and we say, well, I ain't doing that. I know the preacher says and I know this person says and I know that person says, but I ain't changing. Well, that's not Christianity. I don't care how long you've been in church. Christianity is right there in Acts chapter 8. What does hinder me from being baptized? I've got an opportunity. Let me ask you something. Do you think this man wore nice clothes? I'm just guessing. He's an Ethiopian eunuch that's in charge of Candace's treasury. I'm guessing he probably dressed pretty good. And he's out in the desert and says, I'm willing to step in that hole of water in, in order to honor Jesus Christ. They weren't blessed like we are. We get sophisticated, right? Heated pools of water indoors. He said, stop the chariot. I'm ready right now. Oh, you know why Jesus had to tell the Ephesians, you've left your first love. When I first married my wife, I did not have to work at being sensitive to her wishes and wants. It was just there. But you know, you've been married for a while, you get used to each other, and you have to make sure that you stay sensitive, that you don't get to the point where you become calloused or used to each other. Truth? People say, the honeymoon world. Well, don't let it. Do the first works, Jesus said, and you'll have the first love. You know what? The first works are whatever he tells me, I'll do. Whatever will indicate faith in him, I'll do it. If that's what he wants, that's what I'll do. And so the condition for being baptized is the same condition for every other step of obedience. If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. Can I preach the gospel to someone unsaved? If you believe on Christ with all your heart, you may, because he told you to. Can, can, I, can I disciple another Christian? If you believe on Christ with all your heart, you can, because he told us to. Can I live a holy life? You, if you believe on Christ with all your heart, what would hinder me? Nothing other than unbelief. You hear me this morning? Nothing ties the hands of God like unbelief. God said of the children of Israel in the wilderness, they limited the Holy One of Israel. How do you limit God? Some would say, you can't. The Bible says they did. Why? Hard hearts, unbelief. I don't believe him. You know what? It's very simple. Christianity, Bible Christianity is so simple. I trust him. He runs my life. I trust him. He saves me. I trust him. He guides me. I trust him. He gets me to heaven. I trust him. He keeps me from the flames of hell. I trust him. He delivers me from the power of sin. It's all about him and my part is trust. And friend, we can package our unbelief in whatever pretty packaging we want, but it's still unbelief. My intent was not to preach on unbelief this morning, but I would say this. The same thing that fueled that first step of obedience Simple faith is the same thing that fuels your discipleship today. Can I trust Him with my life? I'm preaching on Sunday nights on the believer and the body, our physical body. We're going to deal with something very, very simple tonight, like appetite. We need to deal. We need to think about what He wants in our bodies, on our bodies. Uh, all those things matter to Him. He speaks of them. But what would cause me to have that kind of a relationship with Him? Trust, if thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. We may obey Christ if we trust him. 
And so then uh, the condition to be baptized was, if thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And so then we move on finally to the correlation. I said at the beginning, baptism is a picture. So we've seen the command, Christ commanded by pattern and by precept. The constraint is not an outward forcing, but an inward trust. The, the condition is that trust. You can't be baptized unless you're a believer uh, and truly a sincere believer. God does not want feigned faith. He doesn't want us to pretend. I'll, I'll give this story very quickly before I move on. I had a coworker one time. His name was Steve. And uh, Steve worked with me for a short period of time. Steve had some habits of life that indicated he didn't know the Lord. So I began to witness to him and ask him, was he saved? He said, oh, yeah, my parents are Southern Baptists. I attended their church, walked the aisle and got dunked underwater. I'm good. No, that's not the testimony of somebody has been born again. And it was in a Baptist church. But his testimony was, yep, I did what they told me. I walked the aisle, said the words they wanted, let them dunk me underwater. He wasn't saved. You say you're not as just. If that's all he thought salvation was, physically walking an aisle, getting dunked underwater, and I don't think he really believed that. I think it was, I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> I'm fine. No, no, baptism is an evidence I sincerely and truly have put my trust in the Savior. I trust Him, not me. And so then, that's the condition. Finally, the cor- or fourthly, the correlation. Titus chapter 3, if you turn there. Uh, Titus chapter 3, the word is used washing, and it's speaking of spiritually what takes place uh, when we get uh, born again. But then baptism, as I said, is a portrait. It's a figure of that, as, as Peter would tell us. Titus chapter 3, the Bible says in verse uh, 4, But after that the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us, by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. I want you to keep those two phrases in your mind. The washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost which he hath shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is a faithful saying, and these I will that thou affirm constantly, that they which have, here it is, believed in God. What's the condition? They which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable unto men. Baptism, yes, is baptism a good work? Yes. Therefore, baptism is not a means of salvation. It's an evidence of it. We're to be careful to maintain good works. Why? Because we believed in God. He outlines a couple of things here that baptism represents the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. And I say that because of what Romans chapter 6 says. Turn there if you would. Romans chapter 6 First Corinthians twelve thirteen tells us this. We are by one spirit baptized into the body of Christ, meaning the work of salvation is accomplished by the Holy Spirit of God. And when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God, if you would, immerses you in Christ so that your sins are washed away and His righteousness now is imparted to you. That's what happens when you get saved. You are dead in sins, corrupt because of your transgressions, mine as well. And when you put your faith in Christ, the Holy Spirit of God took your old filthy, corrupt nature and washed you in Jesus Christ, and you came out new. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. By the way, I'll just say it one more time for clarity. There's only one mode of baptism that can accurately represent that. That's why baptism and what we believe about salvation are so intricately connected. If I'm not, you and I are not merely sprinkled with Christ. We're immersed in Him. We are clothed in His righteousness. We've put, the old man has been put off. He's been, God has forgiven us for our old sins and transgressions and I was an enemy and now I'm a friend. I was a child of the devil and now I'm a child of God. That is what happened when God saved you. And if you've not had that happen yet, He would do it for you today. All you have to do is put your trust from your heart in Jesus Christ. We'll read in a minute, Galatians says, we are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. What a simple statement. And so then, Romans chapter 6 says this, verse 1, what should we say then? 
Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Who's the we he's talking about? Believers in Christ. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? He's talking about the attitude we now have as believers towards sin. We're to be dead to sin. Now, I understand sin hunts us down and tempts us, but we're to be dead to sin. Why? Because of Christ. Know you not, verse 3, that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. Meaning, that water baptism is symbolic of what happened to me. My heart and my mind are now, I'm in Christ, and his death because of my sin causes me to be dead to sin. Let me ask you this. You have an old dead guy laying here in a coffin. He's just He's gone. He's expired. His soul has departed. And he's laying there, and the poor fellow had a... Hey boy, he was tempted with liquor in his life. So much he was a drunkard. And he's laying there and he's in his coffin and I bring up a fifth of whiskey and say, you want a drink? How's he going to respond? He's dead to it. That's what baptism symbolizes for the Christian. I've been regenerated. I was a slave to sin, but I'm not now. Now, Listen, this is a doctrinal truth. You say... I've put my trust in Christ, but it doesn't feel that way. Sin is very appealing to me. That's why you need Romans 6. So you can see what literally God did for you when he saved you and say, you know what? I was a servant of sin, but I'm not. Therefore, God says, reckon ye yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin. This is what God did. So lay hold of it. When you got baptized, this is what it symbolized. Lay hold of it. And you, your sin's no longer your master. You have permission to say No. So verse 3, And know you not as many as were baptized into Christ, were baptized into his death. Therefore we are buried, verse 4, with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so also we should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, verse 6, that our old man is crucified with him. Not was, is. That's why Paul said, I am crucified with Christ that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is free from sin. So what's this got to do with baptism? Everything. It's what it pictures. When I say I'm trusting Christ, what am I trusting him for? The forgiveness of my sins through his death. I'm trusting him for the salvation of my soul, the justification of my soul, so that I was a servant of sin, but now Christ has saved me and set me free, and now I'm a servant of God. It's not just a spiritual ritual. It's symbolic of salvation. It's symbolic of the fact, it correlates to the fact that I have been regenerated. I was dead. The washing of regeneration. I was dead in sin, but the life of Christ was imparted to me. I was dead in sin and a servant to sin, but I've been renewed. I've been made new. I'm not any longer the old slave of sin. I'm now the new child of God. Let me read you a couple of other texts that bear this out. Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3 and then Galatians chapter 3. We'll go in that order. Colossians chapter 3. Excuse me. Colossians chapter 3 verse uh, 11. He has given a number of verses in the first number of verses of of the chapter dealing with putting off the old man and putting on the new, meaning you're a new creature, so your conduct needs to match that. You are new, so put off the old, put away lying, speak truth one to another, so on. He says in verse 9, lie not one to another, seeing you have put off the old man with his deeds. In verse 10, and have put on the new man, which is renewed, there's that word again, in knowledge after the image of him that created him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision. We're in verse 11 of Colossians 3. Barbarian, Scythian, bond, nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, uh, forbearing one another, forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. Uh, and above all these things, put on charity. And he goes on and continues to speak uh, about the fact that we have been made new in Christ. Colossians 3 speaks to us of having been baptized into Christ. Verse 1 says, If ye then be risen with Christ, seat those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. And the truth of the matter is, is that as many of us as have been baptized into Christ, what happens at baptism, being buried and raised, shows my old life is behind me. The old life of serving covetousness, the old life of serving lust, the old life of serving pride, 
That is behind me. That's my old man. I'm a new creature. Therefore, I'm to be putting off the elements and the things that are, that are associated with my old life. Today, what happens is someone makes a profession of faith, gets dunked underwater. They were a drunkard. They made their profession of faith. They get dunked underwater and they continue to be a drunkard. But now they have Christian people supposedly to drink with them. No, friend, God saved us out of that. Someone before they got saved was an unclean uh, person living a life addicted to pornography and fornication, living an ungodly life, and they make a profession of faith, and they get dunked underwater, and they continue to live that life, and, well, the grace of God abounds. It does abound, but not to permit us to continue in sin. That's old. I'm new. This, And by the way, it's not theory. It's fact. When God saves you, He changes who you are in your core. There may be some sitting in these pews today, you've been nursing bitterness for 25 years. Friend, that's old. You're bitter at a parent, or you're bitter at a pastor, or you're bitter at a co-worker, or you're bitter at a mate. Listen now, that's behind. That baptism represents the old man is buried with Jesus Christ in the grave and in His resurrection, His life, His death forgives my sins, His life gives me power to live the new life. Salvation is a twofold thing. I get forgiveness through His death and I get power through His life. Well, it says, well, I can't live right. Is Christ in you? I know Christ is in me. Then quit believing the lies of the devil and let Christ give you His life. And by His grace and upon His promises, live the life He called you to live. Baptism is not merely a ritual so you can join a church. Baptism is a picture that you've been born again. It is an evidence of sincere faith in Jesus Christ saying, I know this is what He's done for me. Now, I don't believe every person who gets baptized fully understands all that. They understand this. I believe Him. He told me to get baptized. I'm going to obey Him. And it symbolizes the new life in Christ. That step of obedience. It's the, you're living, you know what? If you'll get baptized simply because Jesus said to, I promise you that's not the way you've been living if you were lost. Right? You were living because that's what you wanted to do, not because Christ said to. So it's a picture of the new life. Eh? the regenerating work of the Spirit of God within, the renewing power of His life. And that's the picture of baptism. And finally, the consequence. Then what does baptism do for us then? If it is a picture of these things, it certainly does not accomplish salvation. Turn now to 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. How many of us would understand this? That the world around Noah's ark was different when he stepped out of the ark than when he stepped in. What changed his world? (laughs) God baptized the world in a flood, and he washed away the iniquity, literally. So that when Noah stepped out, it was a new world. Truth? And it's a picture of salvation, even as our baptism is the same. The work of Jesus Christ washes away our iniquity, and we step in out into the new life, having been baptized. And this is what's the context of 1 Peter chapter 3. It says this in verse uh, 20. He says, Which sometime were disobedient, when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls, were saved by water, the like figure, don't miss that. He says the like figure, meaning this is not the actuality, it's a picture of. The like figure, whereunto even baptism doth also now save us. Then he puts in parentheses here, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh. I'm not talking about taking a bath in water, but the answer of a good conscience toward God by, the actual salvation is by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is on the right hand of God, angels, and authorities and powers being made subject unto him. You say this, as we examine baptism this morning, there's a number of you sitting here, you have believed on Christ, you have obeyed him in believer's baptism. But have you noticed sometimes it is needful to go back and study the elementary components? How many of you ever um, think it would be beneficial to a student in Algebra 1 to go back and do his multiplication tables? Now, he learned multiplication way on back there in second grade. Should have. Right? Second, third grade. Should have that down pat. But if you're going to do algebra, it might be good to go back and do your multiplication tables. It will surely help algebra to go a little better. A lot of multiplication going on there. You can go back and do some long division. I remember used to in our school, we had the 12 by 12 multiplication tables, and we had to do those all the way through school. Dad would graph them out for us. 
But you know what? I didn't appreciate it at the time. I do now. <laughs> Fact of the matter is, you may be saved and been baptized a long time ago. But this message this morning ought to remind us of what that baptism symbolized when we did it. I think we go through every sincere believer in this room. I say, why did you get baptized? Why did you get baptized? What's that? George, why did you get baptized? There it is. It's complicated, isn't it? Isn't that Christianity? Why did you get baptized? Because I knew in his word it's what he wanted, and I truly believe on him, so I did it. That's it. So if you've been saved for a long time, don't forget what baptism pictures. The old life of stubbornness and willpower is dead. The new life of submission to the Son of God, we're alive unto that. You may be here this morning, you say, you know what? I'm hearing you preach about baptism and believing on Christ, and this is not my understanding. You may not, you may, some of this may not be settling in, but you say, it's making me ask some questions. You may be here this morning, and perhaps you've never yet been born again. Just because you've had a religious experience or you have religious knowledge doesn't mean you're saved. It's Jesus who saves. He lives today. He has to save you. You could beg and plead with somebody else, but it's Christ that has to wash your sins away. He died for them. It's His blood. It's He that has to represent you to God and say, this one's mine. You say, I'm, I don't know that I'm saved. The Bible says, Acts 16, 31, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. You need not think about baptism until you've believed. Have you believed that Jesus Christ is the only way to have your sins forgiven, to have the transgressions you've committed against your Creator wiped clean and not held against you? The only thing God has provided for you to do to have your pardon that you need is trust His Son. Jesus already was punished in your place. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. You may be here this morning and say, you know what? I I am not a a candidate for baptism because I have not yet sincerely believed what the Bible says about Jesus. But maybe the Spirit of God is speaking to you today, so you need to believe it. It's true. Christ is coming. We taught it in Sunday school. He's coming. And if you're going to be ready, you need to know that you have had your sins forgiven through faith in Him. So this morning you could be here and say, "I'm I'm not saved yet. I'm not a believer yet. I would say this, what doth hinder you? <laughs> He's worthy to be trusted. Believer this morning, you may be here this morning and say, I'm a sincere believer, but based on the Bible, I've never truly been baptized. Well, you know what the next question will be? What doth hinder me? Amen? And for so many sitting here this morning, you say, you know what? I'm a baptized believer, but I need a good reminder of what basic Christianity is all about.